How do you do? Welcome to a new episode of The Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast. This is episode 13, One Ring to Rule Them All, for Wednesday, the 8th of April, 2020. My name is Fabian Ciascio, you can call me Fab, and I'm once again here in my studio, back home in my studio, just off runway 33 of Hamburg International Airport, where there are currently almost no no planes flying, there's almost no air traffic. Yeah, and I'm settled in. Uh, today we're going to talk about Ring, the company Ring, its products and, um, and the whole bullshit that's going on. A coronavirus-free episode um, for those who, um, you know, are fed up, which I can completely understand because, you know, the mainstream media is just coronavirus all the time now. So, um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's do this. But uh, before we get into this this topic, um, I have some housekeeping um, to take care of because we had some. Um, you know, I, I I had some issues with the with the RSS feed of the podcast. I had some um, glitch, you could say, and I you know I, I fixed some stuff. And this has uh, this has caused for some people. You know, we were um, we were looking at this. I me and the producers were looking at this in the Discord channel, and they were like giving me feedback. And it seems like some podcatchers, even though I fixed the actual problem, there there's like some this episodes that have disappeared um so um, i i have fixed everything i can on my side there's there's nothing i can do pretty much all the um podcatchers i tested with um are working are working fine now so um i there's 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 really nothing i can do on on my end now um if you have an issue and if if you have an episode that has disappeared um, please try to force your podcatcher to re-download um, the feed. Um, and if that doesn't fix it, maybe unsubscribe from the podcast, then uh, clear any cache or whatever you can, and that depends on the app, and then resubscribe again. So basically, once it once it fully understands, once it gets the new feed, everything should be, should be okay again. Um, I'm sorry about that, but, you know, sometimes um podcasting is hard it's you know there are some still some pitfalls it's a um the, the whole technology is a bit even years decades and now it's like it's a bit hacked together sometimes it's just diff it's like it's just depends on how you know it's a very how podcatchers read podcast feeds is a science in itself uh, i once tried to write a uh, a, a software platform to publish podcasts and um i got uh, basically everything done and then it got into um creating the feeds and i gave up at that point that was just hard and now i'm i'm doing it myself i mean i've i've, I've done it now I've, I've, the, the, um, the software i use actually um i basically wrote the it's not like it it generates RSS feeds, but I wrote that feed uh, for a podcast feed with all its enclosures. Yeah, you need like for a podcast, you need a special feed. I wrote that myself, and so far it's worked great. Um, I had a little issue now, but I I hope it's fixed. 
And um, with that, I think uh, we should get into the right straight into the main um, topic of the show, which is Ring. And um, this is I have I have a lot of show notes for this. As usual, you can go to privatecitizen.press. Um, I think this is an important topic we need to talk about. I know that currently um, people care about other things. Um, but this is something I've, I've I had researched quite a while ago, and I, I think it's 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 really important. It's also interesting that um, we recently I talked about uh, Zoom, and this this story has quite a few things in common. I say recently that was like last episode. <laughs> last episode I talked about Zoom, and um, this has um, some things in common in that. Uh, ring also is like a silicon valley startup and um there are these patterns that you realize when you've you've been in this job long and you've been reporting on these things you, you see these patterns of like these silicon valley startup people who um on the face of it always at least they say that i don't know if like they believe it i think it depends on the person but they always say that they want to make the world better right and um and it has turned out in the past that a lot of the technologies they come up with um, have actually, I mean, they've enabled a lot of things, but they also made our lives worse uh, in quite a lot, lot of um, areas. It's kind of like it's a double-edged sword, right? So you could imagine a world where like all this technology, like search engines, mapping, mobile devices, you know, all of this internet publishing, all of this uh, wasn't tied up with tracking everybody and advertising and as people like to call it now, surveillance capitalism. But in in this world we live in, that's, that's always how it goes. There's a startup, they have a great idea, they actually want to make everybody's world better than, you know, you have investors, they invest, then the investors say you need to grow, you need more users, and you need to make money, and then they get tied up with you know tracking their tracking their uh, their their users and their customers and, and all all of that shit. <laughs> um, so Ring Ring is interesting because Ring was originally founded in 2013 as Doorbot by a guy called Jamie Simonoff, and um, there was or there is this crowdfunding platform called Christie Street. And he raised $364,000. Um, he re originally requested a quarter million, which is, you know, if you look at crowdfunding these days, you know, this was 2013, the very beginning of when people did that. But if you look at crowdfunding these days, it's quite, it's, it's quite a humble sum. You know, you don't really like for a product, you don't really start under a million these days, I feel like. Um... And apparently also it seems like he, he had the same. I mean, there's a reason people start at higher amounts now because people figure out that you actually need more money to realize everything. I mean, it's not only getting the product done. It's all it's all the stuff around that, customer support, all this, you know, advertising. And he, I think he realized he needed more. So he was actually on the, uh, the TV series Shark Tank in the U.S. Um, looking for $700,000 additional in investment and um he uh estimated at that point his company was worth seven million dollars 
And um, actually, that pitch is still on YouTube, which is great. This is from Shark Tank Season 5, Episode 9. And um, I thought we'd just listen to that. Um, it's 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 hilarious because if you think about Ring now these days, you know, having been bought by Amazon and everything, it's like this huge company and it's it's like the market leader in like cameras and, you know, doorbell, you know, video doorbells. And back then they were just tiny and it's just like this one guy and he is very, uh, you know, in this pitch, he is, he's very insecure. Like it, it, it starts off very, very, um, he starts off very, very jittery and he gets better as it goes through. But in the beginning he's like, oh, he's, he hasn't done this a lot. And, um, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> here's, here's what it sounds like. Who's there? It's Jamie. Here to pitch. Who? It's Jamie. Come in. Sharks, wouldn't it been nice to know who was behind the door before you let me in? With my product, you can. My name is Jamie Siminoff. I'm from Los Angeles, California. My product is the DoorBot. I'm seeking $700,000 for a 10% stake in the company. Consumers are currently spending billions of dollars outfitting their homes with products that work with smartphones. However, one of the most ubiquitous technologies, the doorbell, has not changed since it was invented in 1880. Until now, introducing the DoorBot, the first ever video doorbell built for the smartphone. With DoorBot, you can see and speak with visitors from anywhere. But I didn't invent DoorBot just to make our lives more convenient. It also adds needed security. Let me show you. Mark, let's just say this is your house in Dallas. You'll see on the screen here that I'm projecting the DoorBot app from my smartphone to make it easier to see the demo. Now, just like a regular call, when someone rings the DoorBot, you can see them and decline if it's a, someone that you don't want to talk to, or accept and say hello to your visitor. Think of it as caller ID for your front door. <laughs> Looking doorbot guy. Hey, Mark. It's your good friend, Mr. Wonderful. I wanted to have you join me on this deal with Doorbot. I think we can get them to go all royalties and no equity. <laughs> Mark, we know that no real entrepreneur is going to accept that deal. And now you can tell Mr. Wonderful to scram. And the best thing is you can do it without having to be face to face with him. <laughs> so as you can as you can see here, he's the kind of like um demoing this thing and um it 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 sounds like a great idea doesn't it like you know it, it's like this app you have this uh this device you install on your door and then when somebody rings the door it's like getting the you know it's like as he says caller id uh it's like you get you get a video you can see who's there you can talk to them uh it's great you know if you get a delivery you can tell them you're not home and please leave the delivery in front of the door or put them behind the shed or whatever um, you can pretend you're home uh, when somebody rings, which, you know, um, is a thing, you know, burglars often ring the bell before they break some in somewhere. So you can actually pretend you're home. Um, so it's a, it's a security thing and um, not bad, but he, um, he didn't like 
this guy, Mr. Wonderful, who's, I don't watch this show, uh, who's apparently is Kevin O'Leary, is one of the investors. He made an offer, um, but uh, Simonov declined that. And um, it's kind of interesting. You're kind of wondering if, in hindsight, these people are kind of kicking themselves. Um, so after after the Shark Tank appearance, uh, he rebranded the company um, from Doorbot to ring um i think doorbot was just like too cutesy and too techy you know nerdy developers would call would call a product that um ring is better branding um and he actually succeeded in receiving five million uh dollars in uh um no actually um he 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 succeeded in uh, receiving uh, more investors but uh, he rebranded and then his company actually had five million dollars in additional sales um, and then in 2016 um, people invested uh, in ring uh, one one of the people who did was Shaquille O'Neal and uh, he became a spokesperson and also involved in the marketing of course and you know and since then they've raised more than 200 million dollars in investments uh, Kleiner Perkins, Coffee Buyers, Qualcomm Goldman Sachs, uh, Richard Branson, all invested. Um, and then, of course, in 2018, they were uh, acquired by Amazon. Um, and estimated value of that deal, it's, it wasn't disclosed, uh, between $1.2 and $1.8 billion. So quite a valuable company. So um, there's a Business Insider article that goes into this a bit more. Um, if you're interested in how exactly that went down, it's 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 quite kind of it's kind of an interesting story if you see how it all started. Uh, here's, for example, there's uh, in this in this uh, business insider story they're talking about the guy. So one of his investors uh, talks to business insider and talks about the Simonov guy and he says uh, he's very ambitious. Uh, he has a very ambitious vision of where the company goes over time um you know they they then launched a not only do they have like the video doorbell this was before amazon bought them um the story but you know that they had just launched a security cam camera for outside with with lights and um yeah uh he says uh, so quote the idea that i have a siren on my smart smartphone to scare people away that's a new product he's seeing the world different and inventing products from scratch. And that is actually something, yes, this is a quite ingenious invention. Yeah, I, I guess it wasn't the first video doorbell, but, you know, it's kind of, if you look at it, you know, positively, it's, it's kind of a cool product. Now, the, the problem comes in now, as always, with Silicon Valley investors uh, when they want more money. And this is where we have to talk about the privacy because the problem here is that this company, you know, and this founder who saw stuff quite ingeniously now kind of, I, I feel like if you read all of this story, you feel like he kind of now starts to use his ingenuity to make the company more money, um, which in itself isn't bad, but they seem to have no respect for people's privacy in the process. Um, so there was a story, um, quite a while ago on the intercept 
about their security which now is famous you know we had at the end of last year we had a lot of ring hacks i'm going to go into that a bit uh going forward but you know that i mean just reading from this register story ring has a history of lax sloppy oversight when it comes to deciding who has access to some of the most precious intimate data belonging to any person a live high definition feed from around and perhaps perhaps inside their house because, you know, they have inside cameras now as well. The company has marketed its line of miniature... Sorry, I need um, some Earl Grey, which I guess is gunfire because it's spiced up with rum. <laughs> um, the company has marketed its line of miniature cameras designed to be mounted as doorbells in garages and on bookshelves, not only as a means of keeping tabs on your home while you're away, but of creating a sort of privatized neighborhood watch, a constellation of overlapping camera feeds that will help police detect and apprehend burglars and worse and worse as they approach. Our mission, so quoting here, um, our mission to reduce crime in neighborhoods has been at the core of everything we do at Ring. Founder and CEO Jamie Simonoff wrote last spring to commemorate the company's reported $1 billion acquisition payday from Amazon company with its own recent history of troubling facial recognition practices obviously amazon has troubling history of a lot of things um the marketing is working ring is a consumer hit and a press darling which actually this was the case before like um the end of last year when all this stuff happened in the press um they were i mean even 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 last christmas they were like on Christmas lists from like tech journalists where they were like, okay, you want this device? Like this is one of the best on the market for this kind of thing. And this was after all their security came out. Um, and here you can just see what is going on. Um, so leaving aside the security for a moment, the company, um, I mean, he says the mission to reduce crime in neighborhoods has been at the core of everything we do at Ring. You heard nothing about that on like the Shark Tank pitch. This is the new thing. They, this is the thing they then went in, all in on. Um, I don't really know why. I guess to sell to sell the data. Um, but basically, what they are doing now is they um they're using this so people are buying their cameras and they're putting them everywhere which which gives the company a basically did their own surveillance network I, I mean we talked about this in uh oh god now i have to see which episode that was it's usual too many episodes episode three so private sector surveillance bleeding into government right this is this is exactly that. This is a private company who now suddenly has cameras everywhere in the neighborhood. And they're now, well, you know, we can help the police with, <laughs> with that. So um, in this, um, the, so the, um, the Intercept actually found out uh, about what they're actually doing. Um, and in this Intercept story, they're talking about that uh, that beginning in 2016, um, let me just read from it. Beginning in 2016, according to one source, Ring provided its Ukraine-based research and development team virtually unfettered access to a folder in Amazon's S3 cloud storage service that contained every video created 
by every ring camera around the world. This would amount to an enormous list of highly sensitive files that could be easily browsed and viewed. At the time the Ukrainian access was provided, the video files were left unencrypted, the source said, because rings leaders of ring leadership's quote sense of encryption sense that encryption would make the company less valuable. Owing to the expense of implementing encryption and lost revenue opportunities due to restricted access. The Ukraine team was also provided with a corresponding database that linked each specific file to corresponding specific ring customers. And what they're basically doing here is what, you know, Amazon was in hot water over what Microsoft, all these digital assistants, you know, when they say, oh, this is all smart technology and AI and neural networks, often it's just relatively simple um, algorithms. And there's actually people training these. And there's people looking at the video and often doing quite a lot of the work is actually people often in like, you know, countries where labor is cheap, like Ukraine. And what they were doing is they were um, giving these people an interface where they watch the video and then everything would be tagged and they had that they'd have to, you know, people were, were tagged cars and then they'd have to check that and, you know, um, say if like the tagging was correct or like tech stuff on their own and that in itself is questionable but the real problem is that they gave everybody like unfettered access and it was unencrypted because you know what we are about is like revenue right and we want to grow as a startup and that that's the problem that's that's why all these startups are problems that, that's why zoom is a problem because growth and getting users and getting revenue streams from their users data is more important to these people than people's privacy yeah and uh, continuing in the story uh quoting at the same time so this is the uh, the, the not the register the intercept um, at the same time, the source said Ring unnecessarily provided executives and engineers in the US with highly privileged access to the company's technical support video portal, allowing unfiltered, round-the-clock live feeds from some customer cameras, regardless of whether they needed access to this extremely sensitive data to do their jobs. For someone who'd been given this top-level access, only a Ring customer's email address was required to watch cameras from that person's home. The source also recounted instances of ring engineers, quote, teasing each other about who they brought home, end quote, after romantic dates. Let that just sink in for a moment. I mean, you think they didn't also look at other people's stuff? And ah, this is like, yeah, then people are always saying like, okay, um, you know, not that many people have an indoor ring camera, which if you have that, God beware. I mean, just, just listen to that. But, um, you know, I have friends who have a ring camera and they live in the middle of nowhere and they were like, who cares, right? I'm telling them about the security problems. I'm not even, I wasn't even talking about these privacy things. There's security problems that we're going to talk about in a bit. And I was like, this is not a good company. Like, this is not good. People can hack that. And my friends were like, yeah, but we're in the middle of nowhere and they only can see the outside from our house. You know, from our, like, basically, they only can see our driveway. Which I personally, I wouldn't want people even to see my driveway. But then on the other hand, they're right, right? And on the other side, there's just like a field because they literally live in the middle of fucking nowhere. Um, but they're not the typical example, I, I feel. Um, but they're a good example for how people think. 
Um, even in the city, people will think like that. They will think, well, they can only see my driveway. The problem is that they can also see your neighbor's house across the street. And then the thing you're not thinking, you know, you're not forward thinking because you're not seeing that. In ev if everybody thinks like this and everybody's like, oh, uh, you know, they can only see my driveway. They don't realize that their neighbor across the road also has a ring camera and that from that ring camera, you can see their house. So... You know, while while one ring camera might not be that problematic, if you have this, if everybody gets them and they they build the surveillance network, we get into the they, this actually exists not so much in Europe, but in the US, uh, in some cities, this like blanket coverage almost. Um, it's a huge problem, and I mean they were doing this for years. Um, they're you know. It's, the company is called, I mean, this uh, Ukrainian thing where, you know, they sent the data there and they just had an unencrypted S3 bucket and they had this interface. I have uh, screenshots of that in the show notes at privatecitizen.press um, where, like, you know, it's from the intercept. It's like you can actually see their interface. And the company that was doing that was called Ring Labs uh, in Ukraine and they were doing that for years. And then, you know, obviously we had the story that Ring was actually uh, using this footage in ads. So it, when you, um, they have like terms of service agreements and they have like this app, which doesn't exist in Europe, but exists in the US, it's like this neighborhood app. And if you share, um, so by default, your video, of course, Ring has it because it's stored in the cloud. <clears throat> Sorry. Nah. Ah, need some gunfire. Um, because it's stored in the cloud, so Ring has it. They have access, but, you know, they're not allowed to give access to anybody else. But if you share it through their neighborhood app, and you might only... It's like a... It's built like... It's very insidious. It's built like a social network. And if people share that... And they think like, yeah, okay, but now only the people that follow me in this app or whatever can see it. The terms of service actually say that Ring then gets like a perpetual right to use the footage for any purpose, including for advertisement. So once you shared it, they can use it for whatever they want. Um, and of course, it's not only advertising, but as we get to in a second, uh, also the police. Um, so... It's, yeah, it's weird. Um, I mean, that, that whole thing is, I mean, they sell this as like a social platform for like crime watching, whatever, and that, that sounds great. But um, there, you know, there are other apps, of course, like that in, in the um, in the US. But like the problem with Ring is they actually have deals with police departments. I mean, that's this whole thing, you know, Um this founder who says like our mission has always been like to fight crime and work with the police and i mean to me that's just like a weird vision for a private company to have i mean maybe i'm old-fashioned or maybe i'm like too european for this kind of thing but i'm like i mean it's good that you're providing a security device for your customers um but it is not your job to, f it's not your job and it's not the customer's job to find crime in the neighborhood. I'm okay with, you know, providing, if you're somebody and you see something, you know, 
your neighbor's house gets get bro break, broken into and you see like a guy breaking in there and the police comes around and asks you i'm of course i'm okay with you know telling telling them yes i saw somebody here i took a picture whatever i have um i can describe the guy you know um or maybe even there's video from my camera that's okay if the police comes to you and it's your decision to do that but it's not your job to to go around your neighborhood and organize you know vigilante squads and try to fight crime and it's not a private company's job to do that it's the job of the police it's the state is their job um i don't i can't just conceptually i can't understand how you you know as an entrepreneur you're like you're founding a company and then you're <laughs> you're you're i don't think this was actually their uh, their tenant you know their founding principle when they started the company i i think they got this later because i think this is a way for them to make money or get popular or whatever i don't know i don't know why they're doing it but whatever the case let's assume he's right and it was his goal from the beginning i just can't conceptualize that i can't conceptualize how you start a company and then that's your goal anyway what they are doing um is they are definitely um working with police uh and that is a that's a problem um because basically what they're doing is they're what amazon is doing now this belongs to amazon's company and you know if there were a small startup it would already already be kind of questionable uh but with amazon behind it you know a huge company that has like its own privacy problems and all that jazz that it's even more questionable and they're basically building a surveillance network uh you know it's, as i said it's private uh it's a private sector building a surveillance network once again for the government um because the government presumably even in the us isn't allowed to put cameras on everybody's doorstep so what do they you know what happens you get a private company doing it or as cnet says while re residential neighborhoods aren't usually aligned with security cameras the smart doorbell's popularity has essentially created private surveillance networks powered by amazon and promoted by police departments police departments across the country from major cities like houston to towns with fewer than 30,000 people have offered free or discounted ring doorbells to citizens sometimes using taxpayer funds to pay for amazon's products while ring owners are supposed supposed to have a choice on providing police footage in some giveaways police require recipients to turn over footage when requested i mean they're sub subsidizing these cameras now we can we can listen to what that actually sounds like i have here a uh, report from wowt which is uh affiliate it's uh, nbc omaha uh, in nebraska and uh you know this is this is what it sounds like when when you're the police Way I can't speak for every agency in the country on how they use use this information. So um, it's really an individual agency uh, integrity decision. La Vista started its partnership with Ring this summer. Police Chief Bob Lauston, who marked his 35th anniversary in law enforcement today, thinks about how times have changed. You know, we go back into the uh, 80s and the in the 2000s. The only people that really had surveillance systems were dope dealers 
wanting to see who's coming to the house to rip them off or the police coming on a search warrant. Those are boundaries we would never want to overstep. Omaha police teamed with Ring's app service in July, meaning if a crime happened in a neighborhood, officers can ask Ring to send an email to those in the area with the service and request their video. Without the homeowner's permission or a court order, investigators would not see the doorbell video. So we wanted to make sure we were following all the rules and, um, and not violating anyone's, anyone's privacy or their rights. And so the information that we're able to view is, is all public information. One thing is clear, the technology will keep getting better. And um, this is, of course, it's. I'm just going to stop in this for a minute because what you said there is not true. It's not public information. Um, even if you, sh what he means is like this terms of service thing. If you shared it someplace, um, then you know it's air quotes public information, which is not true because the user doesn't have. I mean, it's a terms of service clause that's somewhere in. The, like reams of text nobody reads that we know that the user doesn't have the expectation that this stuff is public it's kind of like um you know when people post stuff on facebook and they don't realize that that's public because facebook back in the day didn't used to be public right twitter was the platform that was public facebook wasn't explicitly public and it's all like this groups and stuff so it's the user doesn't think that that would be public information. Also, it is not public information. It's like locked in an app. You know, I can't get it from the internet. Like I can't search for that footage on on a search engine on Google, on Bing, whatever. Um, I can't can't do that. So it's definitely not public information. It is um, maybe semi-public information. But the thing is that the user doesn't have, in most cases, doesn't have that expectation when they share that data. John and Sharon, I contacted Ring today and they stressed the idea that information is not disclosed about the customer unless the courts order it or in fact the customer says it's okay and even then you can still be anonymous. We're on your side in downtown Omaha. Brian Mastry, 6 News. All right, thank you, Brian. I love how he says we're on your side and then just like before that, like just words out completely wrong information that was probably fed to them by the PR department from Ring. I mean, even then, you can still be anonymous. It's absolute bullshit. It is absolute bullshit. There is research out there on how if you get video footage like from Ring and it shows your driveway, right? How you can figure out where that was taken and they have your address and they know who you are. That is easy i mean it's not completely easy but you can you can automate you, you can automate that and you can do it by hand i mean there is um if you want to see how you do something like this just check out bellingcat right there these uh i don't know you know you might not have heard of them it's like this um investigative uh journalism outfit that is kind of like you know they're like crowdfunded and what they do is they do uh, open source intelligence and anal analysis so whenever something happens so there there became pretty well known when they did the thing um on uh, mh17 you know when the russians uh shot down or you know separatists whatever shot down that malaysia airlines flight um over ukraine um they analyzed the damage on the plane where it crashed and then like satellite image images and they basically uh provided evidence for a russian 
SAM system, a bug SAM system being used to shoot down their plane. Or by, you know, if you look at how they work, like they just have footage, video footage, and then they compare that to like Google Maps and to uh, images, Google Street View images of like areas and stuff. And they, you know, they can pinpoint that stuff and they can... You give them, you give people like that a video from from some street somewhere, and it is likely that they will be able to figure out where exactly that video was taken. It's kind of like with the, you know, I was going on about with in previous episodes with the location data. It's, it's very, very hard to actually anonymize stuff like that. And Ring knows that. They do know that. They're just like, you know, misleading the public here by way of that. Uh, NBC Omaha reporter who you know doesn't know enough about the subject to or doesn't think clearly enough to 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 see this kind of stuff and obviously what we're seeing and we're talking about this all the time right so this is the same thing as the geofence warrants this is the same thing as the uh, US uh, government you know, agencies police um, using data from apps you know buying data from apps to just track people um this is the same thing. They're using companies and their technology to do stuff that they wouldn't be allowed to do otherwise, which is very, very sinister. And I'm talking about this. I mean, you could say you're in Europe. What do you care? Uh, no, it's not only in the US. I mean, there's subsidizing things going on here as well. Uh, there is a story. Um, this is all from last year. There's a story from uh, the Dutch um, uh, community of Gouda. Uh, or you would say in English, Gouda, you know, where the cheese, the famous cheese comes from, where they basically offer offer subsidies and you basically get these ring video doorbells for free if you allow the police to watch, to, to get access if they if they need it, you know. And um, I'm ex- excuse my pronunciation of Gouda, by the way, that's the best I can do. I grew up right next to the Netherlands on the border, but I never <laughs> really learned Dutch, especially the pronunciation is quite hard to me but um and ring has a thing like they have on their website they have a it's called the ring subsidy match program i mean this is what they do um this enables uh the government and local uh, municipalities to subsidize people to get these cameras under the guise of making everything more secure you know, helping the police, but, you know, you're establishing a surveillance network. That's what you are doing. I mean, Ring likes it because I guess I guess that's why they're partner with the police. You know, they, um, you know, Ring gets installations, they get customers, they get money, and they, you know, they get a good PR because it's great. You know, the, this is the advertising that we're doing for a long time. You know, we can, we can catch actually, you know, they were publishing uh, videos, uh, pictures of people uh, from robberies and stuff basically doing the police's job um and then there was the story on gizmodo where um you know they we know that they had to ask you know so the it's not like a geofence warrant where judge signs something and then google hands over the information or whatever company hands over the information this is actually the police says something happens and then ring sends as we heard in the report, an email asking the customers to basically release their video footage of the area of the time. And um, they can say no. Now, in some cases, Ring actually provided the police with data of the of users who said no. Like they told them how many um, 
people said no and how many ignored this email request and they're working quite closely with police i mean you can see in the story um where they're basically emailing back and forth uh with with the police department and this this case and was in fort lauderdale um so quoting from the story the data was provided to the department after one officer asked to know how many times officers were successful in soliciting a response quote the chief would like to know this asap uh we and then uh we are working on adding more data points but this will give the chief an idea of your video of how your video requests are doing so far ring employee replied so they're working really close with the police um for over a year cnet found this out and reported on this uh, ring let the police actually view a map of where all their doorbells were um so letting them you know really down to the street um you know letting them know okay if, if you have an unsolved crime here this is this is where the cameras are and this is where you can request information from i mean so far just just to show you you know you're anonymous no you're not anonymous um you know they had they had actual heat maps with like where stuff was recorded um and then they could they got caught in this now like it's all a mistake i'm sorry um <laughs> but you know uh as, as this story on cnet says first ring police partnership listed so this is this this map right before the cameras started in march 2018 and the video double company had at least 335 police partners by the time it disabled the feature records show um and then gizmodo did a really good story that is worth a read where they they basically mapped um camera locations and if you look so they have like a map of the whole continental u.s and you can you can it doesn't have any so the map is just dots it's just dots on a on a background and there's no outline of the u.s the cameras alone show you the outline of the u.s and obviously there's uh the the east coast has the most you know new york is almost new york and and, and philly and all of that it's like almost solid and um then california is like that's the, the very the west coast and the very east coast and there's of course it's sparse in the middle but also that's where nobody lives in the u.s they have a, a map um so this is basically gizmodo um scraping this um this data i think it's from this neighborhood app um and there were basically just from yeah there was scraping this this neighbor's app uh like a api whatever and they basically just figured out where all the cameras were um so gizmodo here they say they could access the location of the 440,000 ring cameras spread all over the u.s um so 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 much for your anonymous if you look at like they have a map of los angeles you can basically see the complete city grid of los angeles just by those points um and they basically scraped this neighbor's app and collected uh, 65,800 posts uh from this app um this is just the last 500 days um and and you know the information they could only agree with. and this is like all stuff people shared voluntarily 
so people obviously, I mean, say obviously, but I think they don't understand what they're doing. Um, so quoting from this Gizmodo story, examining the network traffic of the, of the neighbor's app produced unexpected data, including hidden geographic coordinates that are connected to each, po each post, long longitude and latitude, a latitude and longitude of up to six decimal points of precision accurate enough to pinpoint roughly a square inch of ground. Using the hidden coordinates, Gizmodo was able to produce detailed maps depicting the locations of tens of thousands of ring cameras across 15 US cities with varying degrees of accuracy. <laughs> so as, as you can tell, you know, they went from this company that just wanted to provide a good product to wanting to have a crusade for better, more secure neighborhoods or just, you know, getting more revenue or something. And, and privacy was flushed down the toilet and nobody cares. Now, on top of that, a thing that's much more publicized, uh, their security is absolutely shit i mean you had this this came to a head um in november i think uh when like all these hacks started i actually wrote about this for heiser uh quite a lot um so it basically um i mean it's not even before that even before that like with defender found out that <laughs> so there is this vulnerability uh like many of these iot devices you know these cameras they don't have a screen uh, you have the problem if you want them on your Wi-Fi. And um, what it does is, um, obviously, uh, so quoting from Bitdefender, the device uses a wireless connection to join the local network. When first configured, when first configuring the device, the smartphone, so you have a smartphone app for that, smartphone app must send the wireless network credentials. This takes place in an unsecured manner through an unprotected access point. When entering configuration mode, the device creates an access point without a password. The SSID contains the last three bytes from the MAC address. Once this network is up, the app connects to it automatically, queries the device, and then sends the credentials to the local network. All these exchanges are performed through plain HTTP. Um, so, of course, everybody can, can see these credentials. And that actually means... Um, so the device, so the ring camera opens its own access point, and your smartphone app, which is in your wireless network, then sends the credentials of your home wireless network to that access point on the ring camera, and that is unencrypted. That means if you set up this camera, and this is a while ago, I mean they they fixed this, but like it's still. I mean, even even conceptually, it's kind of like Zoom. Like it's like these issues that you like. How can you get the device to a market that has such glaring security problems? So, you know, it's when you set up a ring camera, and you know when that was still a problem. When you set up a ring camera, it spilled the credentials to your wireless network, They're therefore exposing your home wireless network and everything, your home security, all your devices. Yeah, people were in your network. And the problem with that is that you can actually, uh, these researchers figured out that you can actually um, uh, get this the the camera uh, even even if you're not um, in the uh, so even if you're not in that in your Wi-Fi, you can get that ring camera to uh, think its network connection is broken. 
So you can send these deauthentication messages even if you if you're even not in the Wi-Fi, and then your ring camera is like, oh shit, I'm not on Wi-Fi. And then if you do that enough, it just goes into um like in, into a mode where it's like I'm not working and tells that to the user. So the user will see, oh my camera is not working, will go into the configuration thing and then reconfigure the camera. And at that moment the attacker who's close by can get your network credentials. So you can actually get Wi-Fi credentials by just attacking that ring camera and getting that to re-authenticate and then spoof the Wi-Fi credentials. <sighs> yeah, they fixed that, but, you know, having that in the first place is just... It's just somewhat unbelievable. Um, and then, of course... Vice uh, had the story that that broke everything, that broke the bigger, bigger security issues. So because there basically there were hacks happening, people were hacking ring cameras, and you know these publications are asking Ring, is there a problem? And they were like, no, uh, it's not a problem with our system. It must be people's unsecure um, passwords. Um, and then these these hacks kept happen, happening, and you know, colleagues of mine in the in the press and security researchers were like, "This can't be just unsecure passwords." I mean, people must be must find these um, these Ring cameras somehow. And so it turns out that Ring just didn't check when you when you set up your account on there that you didn't check for compromised credentials um and there's like you know there's all these databases out there you know um troy hunt has this whole you know have a important thing there's like services company can use uh, from him and from other um sources where you can check like is you know is does this email address is that in the leak like is there an unknown passwords for it or is this password in this email address is that known to the internet because it was leaked at some point and they didn't do that. Um, and it's like a lot of companies don't do that, but ring isn't just running anything like they're running a security camera <laughs> system, right? That you'd think like they, they should know that they need to protect their users better. And basically they didn't do that. And then people built the tool, you know, kind of like the Zoom hacking tool I talked about last episode. They did like this um, this tool, which finds these, um, these passwords and these, you know, uses, has, gets a huge list of already known password, uh, you know, login password combinations, so basically email addresses and passwords. And then just brute forces it. And the thing is, these things are cloud connected. So you have a Ring account and you don't have to find them individually. You don't have to find Ring cameras on the internet. I mean, they're not exposed like that anyway. They are, you know, connected to the Ring cloud. But you can sign in on the Ring service. And, you know, aside from not checking when you set up this account for obviously compromised credentials, they also didn't really have brute force protection in place. So these automated tools could go there and just hammer the service with known compromised credentials until they found one and then then. And um people did that. 
And Ring didn't understand that they're just not a normal online account like anything else, you know, like your, I don't know, some random forum. They're a, you know, it's not such some video game. Um, I mean, here in the story, um, Vice says, not just some random vi video game account right this is intimate and private parts of somebody's life and potentially puts their physical security at risk some customers install these cameras in their bedrooms you know uh of of of, of their children and this is of course what happened it was only a matter of time until this was going to be abused and it was abused and it did everything new york times you know um so they, for a while they they had a podcast it was called Nultcast, where like these people on underground forums they would like just hack people's ring cameras and then make fun of them there's like a video where they hacked like a um a camera of a like a child in bedroom and played creepy music and talked to the child and stuff like that and uh, i have a report here from uh, from a website global news this is in canada and um you know this this is this is what it sounded like and this is a guy who's, who's also doing like the nulled cast it's sunday night cooking and catching up with their oldest son through facetime was on this cape coral couple's agenda and all of a sudden um we heard the siren until the safety measure was turned against them Someone was using it to peer into the Browns' private What's life. What's going on, my main man, Shaq? It's your boy, Chance on Nold. Welcome to the Noldcast. What's going the on? The hacker starts talking doing? directly to the husband and wife about their son. Wait, wait, so did you... So, so this is based on a, on a hacker forum called Nold. That's why it's called Noldcast. Your child come out black or like, kind of like light skin. I don't know. What? Nothing. Who never appears on this three-minute recording. But Josephine Brown believes the person manipulating their camera was watching for longer than he made known. But they, they've been watching us. Because my that's the only way you know I had a son and the only way you know what he looks like. The hacker focuses only on making racial comments. Is your kid a baboon, like the monkey? Spewing from their security camera over and over again. Wait, does your child look like an Oreo? It's very hurtful because, I mean, my son is biracial and the comments he made was really hurtful. Fed up with the hateful invasion of privacy. Can you bring like a web browser up on your phone and then type in the website that I tell you? No. Why? I'll leave you and your family alone. Or I could do this. I like your dog. The camera batteries are ripped out. Hey! Go to no the Browns called Ring immediately. The company did not respond to my requests, but did tell the family, quote, the email address and password of one of your external accounts was exposed in a data breach. Ring believes someone used that information to gain access into their account. Yeah, because they didn't check for that when they created the account. Josephine says she is constantly changing the Wi-Fi password and believes the company needs to step up. Yeah, that, that, that's not going to help. Fixing it, put more security stuff on there, do more updates on the cameras, making sure everything, you know, runs the way it's supposed to. But I don't, I don't know. I went to it. Yeah, you can, you can, you can tell that these people don't know what they're dealing with, right? They're like, 
put more security stuff on it. That's not the problem. I mean, Ring is right. You use an unsecure password combination, uh, login password combination. Yes, uh, Ring should have prevented that. But still, like these people put a camera in their house that is internet accessible and then they're like, the company should make it more secure. Um, maybe think about putting an internet connected camera in your house in the first place a tech expert michelle bordoff says there's one trusted way to keep your system safe wired cannot be hacked somebody has to be in your home hardwired to your modem to see anything on your network joseph so she's saying so this security expert asking you should wire everything like How's that going to protect you? Like, even if that company, if, even if that camera wasn't on Wi-Fi, uh, if it was hardwired and you didn't have any Wi-Fi, how does that protect you from somebody hacking their cloud account and then getting from the cloud account into your security camera? Like, the the wiring is not going to, is not going to affect that. Dean's experiences, leaving her in the dark about the products she trusted. I was scared. I was scared. I didn't know who that is, how long he been watching us. Yeah, I was, and I'm still scared now because I don't have an answer. Yeah, the answer is don't put an internet-connected fucking camera in your house. The tech experts suggest opening up your Wi-Fi network. Check to see what your neighbors are named after. Go ahead and help them out. Also, they suggest changing the default password that most of our systems come with. Reporting in Cape Coral, Christina Mendez, NBC2. I mean, that's generally good advice, but that's not going to help you in this case. Uh, but yeah, um, so you can tell this being a combination of like, you know, not not state of the art security on Ring's case. Like they should have checked for um, for passwords, you know, if, if, if these passwords were compromised. Um, they should have had better brute force protection. And to be honest, I would expect them for such a critical device to have two factor to enforce two factor authentication like why not chip a two factor dongle with the camera or just you know have a i mean you have a phone app anyway to set it up why not have like two factor authentication on that um i mean that would have been at least they should have done that uh well you know they didn't and then their their communication was was horrible so you know when when journalists started noticing that these hacks happened quite a lot and they asked ring they're like no it's not our fault it's not you know and then they were in denial publicly about you know the brute force protection and about all of this and basically saying it's our customer's fault which is you know there's an element of truth to that but you should you know if you're a company who does security cameras you should hold yourself to a higher standard i think and you should own up and you should you know obviously they didn't um you know it's nullscast of course uh, which was the thing you know it's like this underground forum and they were live streaming this to discord of course they you know uh, they shut that down uh pretty quickly because i mean i think some of them already got indicted uh because obviously uh yeah police could figure out who these guys were <laughs> wasn't that hard i mean you can listen to the guy he's obviously just like a, he's a troll sounds like a you know it sounds like somebody you'd meet in a uh voice chat of a shooter online <laughs> you know some of these guys these trolls idiots um yeah so 
it got worse. Um, basically, they found out that you know people thousands of ring um, credentials that worked were then published. Um, you know, ring was still in denial, and you know I wrote I wrote two stories about this for Heise, and um, it was quite sobering to talk to like the ring PR people. Um, who told me basically uh, first sentence was so I was like first or second sentence was ring has no evidence of uh, this is I translated this from German ring has no evidence of unauthorized access to the systems of any danger to rings network it's like yeah you mean you weren't right your 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 corporate network wasn't hacked right but like when somebody hacked your users accounts and uses your you know your their cloud infrastructure that is unauthorized access to your systems because you're hosting it. uh ring was recently made aware of isolated attacks on account like, yeah very isolated thousands of people um and then they're like there was these companies you know when you do like research like me and you do a stories about just they're like yeah okay it's thousands of people but that's like a very very small fraction of our user base and you're like be that as it may, those like thousands of people had their privacy of their homes invaded and like we were doing hacker podcasts from their bedroom. You know, it just, if that happens once, it's bad enough. It's very, very bad for that particular person. Um, yeah. And of course, once this all became public, we closed it down. Yeah, great. Um, but interestingly, they also said users have full control of the video material captured by their ring cameras, the neighbors app, which is only available in the US, yeah, because you know that wouldn't fly under the GDPR anyway, only exposes footage publicly that users have posted themselves knowingly. Police departments access this information with the same UI as other users. That's wrong. At least it was wrong for quite a while. Neither do they have access to additional information nor the ex exact location or identity of the user posting the footage. Probably true now, but only after the press caught you red-handed in that being otherwise. The police only has access to publicly available footage unless the user decides himself to give them additional materials. Yeah, but, you know, that's not really... As I said, it's not really... The users don't really see it as public. I wouldn't call it public because, you know, you have to have, to have the app or be ring to access it. Um, so it's not public for me, right? I can't, you know, I can't get the app in Europe, so... It's not public information. Um, and I think, you know, your your customers obviously, obviously don't see that. You know, they don't they they don't think that's what's happening when they're sharing this information. They said the program in Chauda is an independent initiative that has no connection to Ring whatsoever. <laughs> it's like, the subsidies, this has no connection to us. Well, except that they're buying your devices. Right, and you have a similar program, program, at least for the U.S. So you're not ethically opposed to it. <laughs> Ring does not share customer information with government agencies unless it receives a valid and legally binding court order. Well, no, you share that that air quotes public information with with the police. It's a government agency. As a matter of course, Ring denies all other requests for such information. No, you don't. You work actively with the police to get you get footage from your users' customers' cameras. 
yeah okay this is all of course stuff from um, last year and stuff like that but you know i just wanted to i think this is very important it's a very important subject um that i researched quite a while ago but i think we need to we need to keep all of that in mind and i definitely wanted to uh, bring it to the attention of, of of this podcast listeners because i also think we need to refer to this back i'll i'll, I'll revisit ring at some point i think um this is a very insidious thing it's one of the insidious most insidious things i've ever seen this subsidizing of um you know basically having using taxpayer dollars to or money taxpayer money to give people free or discounted cameras to basically subsidizing a private surveillance network then that the state then can use and i mean it's not only i mean it's the you gotta imagine these cameras are there this is a surveillance network especially in the u.s that is there that exists that grows every day that people are not aware of because everybody individually buys these cameras and you know if, if we leave the subsidizing out of view for a second for the most part people just buy their cameras they're not aware that all their neighbors have all the cameras that there's basically blanket coverage only the police and ring knows this then it's they're not only working i mean they're working with police um but then this this network is there so you you will you know that the nsa even if they don't get legal access from ring which you know i don't think is out of the out of the question anyway you think you know there have been all these gag orders and stuff so you don't know but even if they don't have that i mean the nsa is well capable to hack into their systems you know to backdoor their network even without ring knowing it and and having access to all this footage i mean for the longest time they had it in an unencrypted s3 bucket right where people from ukraine were we're looking at that. You'd think like a, a state-of-the-art intelligence service from another country can't look into that. And, you know, if you're American, you're like, I'm okay with the NSA seeing that. You think the Russians can't hack into that or the Chinese, right? There's all this stuff about, oh, we got all this backdoor Chinese technology, you know, 5G networks. We have to get this out. Meanwhile, this company's building surveillance, actual fucking surveillance networks, like in fucking 1984 with actual cameras, like cameras everywhere. It's 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 quite it's quite mind blowing. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. I think this is a very very important topic and something something we definitely have to keep an eye on. And I think we need to tell if you know somebody who's buying these cameras, you know, tell them that. Tell them it's not only about you. It's not only you saying okay they can only see my driveway. It's about everybody having a camera like this and if i you know if, if if my house doesn't have one and i even like you know i live in a flat like i can't even protect myself if they put them in the cameras around here you know if a neighbor puts it up i you know they'll be able to see me um but even without that like if you live in your own you have your own property and you don't have any of these cameras they'll be all along your street you won't be able to leave your house without anybody who has access to this network knowing that you left your house because you will go down the street or drive down the street whatever you will be in covered you will if you go into town you will you will go past cameras you you will be seen in this network it's not about that one camera that you install or you don't install that is what people need to understand that is what we need to educate people about and i feel, kind of feel like if you're listening to this you're like i mean this is a this is not a tinfoil hat podcast. This is a pragmatic podcast for 
pragmatic people, pragmatic consumers, but people who are a little bit aware of this that privacy is maybe an issue. And I wanna I wanna, you know, get you to think about these things. And I think we're the ones, you know, we're probably most of the people listening to this are probably techies, just like we're the ones who, who are fixing everybody's computers in our free time, our neighbors, our parents, you know, all these our friends our brothers and sisters, we're fixing their machines. They go to us for like, if they want to buy a new camera, they want to, you know, if they want to buy a new GoPro or whatever, if they want to, if they want to buy a new computer, they ask our advice. And so sometimes, sometimes I feel like we have, we have a little bit of a responsibility to also give them unsolicited advice, which is something like this, you know, we might be a good product. But the problem is we're building the surveillance state for them. We are fucking building them. We're giving them the footage for free. Maybe we should start thinking about that. And, you know, just giving them less. Datensparsamkeit. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Uh, that's it for this, uh, for this topic. Let's get into the feedback. And, um, yeah, I had uh, some, some a really nice discussion on, um, on Patreon. So... Um, you know, people who um, who support this podcast can also, of course, connect, contact me over Patreon. I, I, you know, I do talk to my Patreon supporters. Um, I try to welcome everybody. And so, somebody who I um, I know for a very long time, um, Jackie, Jackie, Jackie Plague. Um, it's Plage. I don't know. Jackie, if you're listening, tell me how to pronounce your name. I'm just gonna say Plague. Plage. I'm I'm, I'm gonna say Plage. <laughs> Because uh, otherwise it sounds like, you know, it's it's too close to home with the fucking coronavirus going on. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Jackie uh, recently became a producer of the podcast and I've, I've known her for a long time. We've been in contact on, it's like one of the people I think I've, I think I've never met her, but I feel like I know her because, you know, I, the good thing about social media, I've, I have many friends that I only have, they're only online friends. Which you know, in these days of lockdown, is quite okay because I can still talk to all my friends. Um, anyway, so she's she's been listening to my podcast for ages, and she started supporting me on Patreon and becoming a producer. And then I said hello, and she was like, uh, "I haven't even gotten around to listening to any episode of your latest podcast yet. I'm the worst fan you ever had. I will soon. I just get distracted very easily these days." <laughs> like I'm not complaining. <laughs> I mean, you're supporting the podcast without even having listening to it. How can that be like being the worst fan ever? Anyway, that just cracked me up. I and I just wanted to mention that. Um, it's it's really nice. I mean, um, I'm 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 doing this now, and people are supporting it, and I appreciate that. But what I almost even appreciate more is just like people being nice, and like I I really enjoy what you're doing or oh, i got a kick out of that episode or oh, i learned something here um that is really cool i mean that that that's what drove me i mean jackie i think i know her back from like the linux outlaws days and i mean we did that show for seven years and we never got anything for it um and we didn't like i mean i was quite hesitant to even start this patreon for this show um so i didn't like for years i just produced we did a show every, we did an episode every week right for seven years uh 370 360 episodes i can't even remember now 
a lot of episodes for completely for free and like that is what like powered me through it just you know you get so much flack you did you say one one thing wrong about some linux distro you get like shouted i had like that's also a good experience you know i'm 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 a lot tougher uh when it comes to online criticism than most of my journalistic colleagues and you know um i mean the heiser forum back when i was working for heiser that was kind of pretty tough and i was just like i've I've seen all of this people like fab they're just like insulting you i'm like you don't understand i did a linux podcast for seven years i've seen shit you can't like run perlman voice right war war never changes if you ever did a linux podcast i've seen shit you wouldn't believe (laughs) it's like i've seen how does it go like i've seen i I saw sea beams glittering off the shoulder of orion you know i've seen i've seen the linux (laughs) podcast wars (laughs) um yeah so you know i that of course was happening but then i was so through those seven years i had amazing just like conversations with people about stuff and people just you know writing you email just you you have a really tough day at work and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't think I can take this anymore. And you log into your email account and there's like a random email from a listener in Australia and he's like, oh, I just want to write you. I really enjoy what you're doing. Like, I've been listening for two years or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's what's powering me through. And so this message also um, powered me through. But speaking of patrons, speaking of giving people money, I wanted you to... Um, maybe check out wrestle me on there so wrestle me is a podcast i've been listening to quite a for quite a while a uh, good friend of mine mine dan lynch who i incidentally used to do linux outlaws with um turned me on to this so I've, i i used to be a fan of wrestling forever right i watched it like in school whatever uh huge brad the hitman heart fan um so he told me about this podcast and there are two guys and one is a huge wrestling fan's been watching wrestling for years and like his friend who does a football podcast or soccer for the Americans and, and Australians here. Um, and they're watching WrestleManias. Uh, all, they started with the very first one. And it's not like if you're like, I'm not into wrestling. It's still a great podcast. It's not so much about wrestling. It's not about the actual matches. It's more like what, what kind of drugs they take and how crazy it was like in the 80s when everybody was on coke and steroids. And then you can see like the promos they're cutting and then they're like, you you know that Hulk Hogan was completely off his nut on, in this one, right? And it's like, okay, and that 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 wrestler killed his wife and this is all these it's it's a great podcast um check it out wrestle me and if you listen to wrestle me check out their patreon because i became a they just started this like their own like supporter campaign and i decided since i've listened to it for ages uh to it's only fair to become a patron i i, I like paying it forwards and kicking back some of the stuff so i just wanted to mention that and then i want to mention that please write me because as i just said i love people getting in contact Sometimes it takes a while for me to reply, especially currently I am I am up to my gills and shit to do. It's just like there's just emails flying in from everywhere. It is just crazy right now. Uh, this, I mean, I, I won't complain. I, I got a job. Uh, it's a lot better than a lot of my journalistic colleagues right now, especially freelancers, like most of them completely out of work right now. Um, I am happy, but I'm also there's quite a bit of a workload also doing two podcast episodes a week 
it's tough, but I, I like to do it. So I'll, I will, I will keep doing things, not two a week, you know, I promise one a week, but I will keep doing stuff. So if it takes a while for me to reply, you know, just, just keep that in mind. Um, I will reply. I will, I'll definitely re read everything and I generally reply to everything unless sometimes it slips through the cracks. And, you know, if you're just an absolute utter idiot, I would, you know, just being trolling, I, I probably won't reply to that either. But, you know, please write me. Tell me how you like this episode. What do you like? What topics do you like? What should I really be talking about? I have a list. Um, some stuff people talk, uh, told me. So I have a list, but I would like to add to that list. So tell me what you want. Tell me what you want more of. What do you want less of? Is this too long? I'm already over an hour again. Is this uh, way too long? Do you want it longer? What do you want? Tell me about it. I'm I'm not promising I'll do it, but I'll take it under consideration. I might discuss it with the with you. So go to Private Citizen Press. Uh, every show notes has a feedback section. There's a link down there. It basically goes to fab.industry/contact, and there's lots of contact information. You can also I have a encrypted whistleblower contact form. So if you have really cool a really cool privacy story that you you know something that wasn't covered that you want to send me, um, you can do so anonymously. And I will protect you, even if I, you know, if there's documents in there, figure out who you are. I am a journalist. I have, I live by my ethical standards and my highest, my highest standard probably is protecting my sources. And I will stop at nothing to do that. I mean, I'm, I mean, I also want to get the story published, but, you know, um, I will not do so if I have to sacrifice a source for that. Generally, I will, you know, I will try everything I can to protect you. Um, and, you know, this, this also goes for if, if you think this is a story I should write about for somebody, um, I will I will do my best. If you give me a story, I will do my, I mean, of course, I have to validate and whatever, but I will do my best to get it published if it's a legit story that people should be interested in. So you can do that as well. And... Of course, I mentioned Patreon. You can also become a producer. Well, if you do that, you're already a producer. If you help out, if you contact me, you're a producer. But um, you're a very special kind of producer if you, if you support the show monetarily. I talk about this every show, so just make it quick. Uh, there's a link to Patreon in the show notes. And there's also the email address you can uh, send money to via PayPal if you don't want... Um, if you don't want to deal with Patreon, which I can understand. Producers at fab.industries is the PayPal email address. Producers at fab.industries. I can understand I want to deal with Patreon. It's just like for me, it's I've talked about this last show. It's like a stable thing. Um, that's why I prefer it. Um, generally, this shows under the value for value model, which just means if you derive value from this, have a little think about how much that is. And then maybe, you know, give some of that value back to me. And I will, of course, you know, I'll, I'll pay some forward to some people on Patreon and, you know, on to other creators. Um, but I also want to kind of make this, you know, it, to be honest, I don't think this will ever amount to the amount of money that compensates me for like if so one hour, 20 minutes, I recorded this, right? I spent like uh, I spent several hours a day, uh, not a day, but I usually spend several hours to prepare the show notes and then about an hour or something to publish the podcast. You know, if I actually put a rate on that, that I would charge somebody if I had to produce a podcast, this is, but no way the Patreon is going to cover that. But I, I do it out of the love of my heart because I love doing it, but it's even better, you know, if I get some something back, I can kind of justify it better for myself. Um, 
yeah, and that's, I think, I think that's, that's everything for now. Um, I'd like to thank everybody who was involved with the production of this show. That, so that's Raoul Kabezali, who composed and recorded the show's theme song. It's called Acoustic Roots. Also, I'm also thankful to Bytemark at bytemark.co.uk, which is a great hosting company. And they provide the service. I host the audio files on for free for me, which also enables me to do the show. And then, of course, I would like to thank everybody who chipped in via Patreon and PayPal and helped produce this show monetarily. So those people are Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Heavy, Georges Walther, Dave Kaisiers, Rashid Alimani, Butterbeans, Mark Holland, Steve Hose, Shelby Kruver, Fadi Mansour, Matt Jelleman, Joe Poser, Vlad, IKN, Dave Amrish, 1I11G, Vitautas Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Jackie Plage, Jonathan Edwards, and Barry Williams. Thanks to all of you, I appreciate it a lot. And I will see you next week for another episode of The Private Citizen. Until then, stay free, stay private, and I'll see you further on down the road.